I want you to turn with me again, Deuteronomy 8, I already told you, 18. As you can see, uh, in God we trust, today's message. I, over the last few weeks, uh, I, I really haven't done, I, I'm going to start a new series after Easter. And I've got a series the Lord's laid on my heart, I'll talk about it next week. But uh, the last few weeks, I've been talking about specific things the Lord has laid on my heart. We talked about camping out too long at the same spot and how that our destiny awaits us. Last week, I, I preached on it came to pass and how... Uh, how God expects us to go in and possess our possession. Uh, and, and this week, uh, again, in light of where we are today, I, I felt like this was a word. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching on divine healing. Uh, when did we stop believing in divine healing? The Bible's full of it. So next Sunday, I'll be preaching about divine healing. We'll have time for prayer uh, as we do every week. But I want to believe God for a miracle. This is a season of miracles. Anyway, Deuteronomy 8, 18 Verse 18 reads, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, everybody say he, it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Let me read that again. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, I think most of us sitting here this morning and anyone online would, would probably agree with this statement that we are living right now in tough economic times, right? How many of you have been to the grocery store recently or uh, the gas station recently? And I, I mentioned in the early service, Brent was here, uh, Givens was here, and, and he had posted a deal on his social media. He had filled up his uh, commercial truck. Uh, he does delivery type stuff, over-the-road stuff, and his, his uh, total was just shy of $800 to fill up his commercial vehicle. And so if you have gone to the grocery store, uh, if you have been to the fuel pump, then you understand that we live right now in some very trying economic times. Um, they say right now inflation is probably uh, at its highest in the last 40 years. The prices of goods and services continue to skyrocket almost daily. And here's the thing, no one is exempt from that. No one is exempt. If you used to spend $100 a week at the grocery store, you're now spending $150 to $180 a week. No one is exempt from doing that. Prices are up, income is down, the outlook is not promising. Listen, anytime you turn on and you start listening to people talk about the economic indicators, it's not good. You know, they're talking about uh, the harvest that won't be coming. You know, they're not planting in parts of the world right now that should be planting for wheat and soybeans and corn and things like that. And so they're, they're already talking about lean times coming, and, and, and it is. And, and so you and I have that challenge. What do we do in lean times? What do we do in tough economic situations? You know, that's one of the things I love about the Word of God. The Bible is not just about my, it's about just, it's not just about my Sunday go-to-meeting lifestyle. It's about every day. Listen, if I want to have a good marriage, the Bible tells me how to do that. If I want to be a, a, good, a neighborly neighbor, the Bible tells me how to do that. If I want to be a good employee, the Bible tells me how to do that. If I want to run a business, the Bible tells me how to do that. If I want to be a godly parent, the Bible tells me how to do that. You know what? If I want to survive tough economic times, the Bible tells me how to do that. I learned a new word this week I had not heard before, shrinkflation. I'd never heard that before. And, and I thought, what in the world is shrinkflation? And it was explained to me, it's like when you were going to the store, just say a year ago, you were buying products, you were buying, listen, manufacturers are not stupid. They understand the sticker shock of most items when you go into a grocery store and you see a can of beans that were 68 cents, now $1.28. They understand that. So what shrinkflation does is that it takes, let's say two years ago, you were buying a product that you buy the same still now, but two years ago, it was 9.6 ounces Today, it's 8.4 ounces. So, so that's shrinking. We're shrinking. We're paying the same money, but we're getting less of what we used to get. And it's all around us. Again, I, uh, as you're aware, Christians are not immune. Listen, I used to think that Christians, as long as I was faithful to God in my giving, as long as I was faithful in serving and doing all of these things, that I was somehow immune to these tough economic downturns. Guess what? I was wrong. I was wrong. We are not immune. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I have this card that says I'm exempt from economic hard times. But here's the thing. We have an ace in the hole. 
And that is the fact that we know without a shadow of a doubt that God takes care of us. He has promised, and his reputation and character is, is established in that promise, that he has promised to take care of us. And not only that, but in this Bible, he has given us sound financial principles to help navigate through these tough times. Again, none of us have to be caught off guard. And none of us have to struggle through these tough times if we are willing to follow the plans and advices that he's already given to us. Again, the text says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Now, notice what it does not say. It does not say that he gives us the power to get wealth only when the economy is strong. He doesn't say that he gives us the ability to get wealth only, uh, only when the economy and the leading economic indicators are in the right direction. doesn't say that. There's no qualifier on there because God takes care. Listen, his wisdom is not our wisdom. See, that's the thing. God's principles work no matter what the outside circumstances are and no matter how the economy may look to us. Did you get that? His principles do not follow human logic. What did he say? He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Again, when, when man fell in the Garden of Eden, you've got to understand, I'd I, I always joke that man bumped his head. We've been brain damaged ever since. Because we, 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 don't, we think upside down. We think upside down. We don't think by kingdom principles. Again, kingdom principle would be like this. The Bible says to be first, you have to do what? To be last. Doesn't make sense. The Bible says to be the greatest, you have to be the least. And if you want to receive, you have to give. None of that makes sense because it's kingdom thinking. He said, my ways are different than your ways. And, And so these tough economic times, here's what it does. It forces you and I to confront our deeply held convictions as to whether or not I truly trust God. I was talking to my granddaughter the other day. She had a dollar bill in her pocket. And she said, Papa, what is on a dollar bill? And uh, I said, well, it's the national motto. It says, in God we trust. And, and then I had to pause and think about that. Do we really? In tough economic times, do we really trust God? I mean, think about the lunacy of the public financial policies we see on display in our country right now. Absolute idiotic financial uh, policies. I, I mentioned in the early service, um, Do you know that right now, 80% of the money that's in circulation in the United States of America right now was printed in the last two years? 80%. In 2018, there was $6.4 trillion in in circulation in the the economy of the United States. Today, it's over $20 trillion. Now, tell me where inflation comes in. (laughs) See, they got this magic press underneath the White House that prints out these notes don't mean anything, but it prints out these notes. And the more they want, the more they print. I, I'm just saying, we see that type of stuff today. And when you see the runaway economy that we have, and, there, and listen, there's a payday that will always come. You cannot continue to borrow on the future generations and it not come to roost. And that's what we're seeing. But you know what? It's not just about, it's not on a national level and just a state level. It's here locally. And it's within our own families. Listen, here's the thing. When you see these tough economic situations, do you find yourself stressed and depressed? Have you experienced a financial crisis on your own? Well, if you have, then the answer is simply this, trust God. Trust God. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive, right? I mean, how in the world can we trust God when we have these tough economic times? But, but listen, God's principles don't align with human logic. It makes no sense. When Naaman was told to go to the dirty waters of the river and dip seven times, it made no sense. And yet God said, if you want to be healed, you dip seven times, and he did. So, so God's principles and his wisdom, are that there's not an alignment with man's logic. In fact, God's word oftentimes contradicts man's thoughts and, wi- and his ways. So what does that mean for us? It means that faith is essential for the believer. In these tough economic times, listen to me, faith is essential but especially during these times. Faith reminds us that, number one, God is in control. And even when the path ahead of us looks gloomy and dark, he is our comforter and he's our guide through these tough, deep, uh, these deep, dark valleys of life. 
That's, that, and, and Ray Comfort, I, I love what Ray Comfort says. He talks about tough economic times, and he, and he says, you know, the answer is when Christians find themselves in the same predicament as the world, he said, the answer is this, maintain your joy. <laughs> Isn't that hard? <laughs> it's hard. But he says, you maintain, and he uses for an scripture, and I've taught through this book, I love it, uh, Habakkuk. And he uses Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, here's what he said, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now here's what he says. He said, now Habakkuk, is really talking about being joyful even though the future looks bleak. Notice what he said there. He said, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Now, the bud represents what? Future harvest. See, right now we're moving into the spring season. Now, I love peaches. I love peaches uh, and cream. <laughs> uh, I, but I don't like store-bought peaches. I, I, I don't like wasting my money on things I can play baseball with. And, and so there are a couple farms that are within a, a drive here in Cleburne. There are a couple pick, what they call you pick farms, you know, where you can go and pick your own peaches and things like that. And so there are a couple of them that I follow. And so right now I'm seeing posts from these farms that are saying they have buds. And I get excited because that bud tells me that there's a peach coming. And I'm going to look forward to that day when I can go and pick that peach. You know, the thing about it is you, bite, you get that peach off the tree and you bite it and the juice just runs down and just drips down. No, you, you can't. I see some of you are salivating right now. <laughs> it's just good stuff. But he said, though, the fig tree does not bud. What he's talking about? See, buds and grapes represent the things that we're trusting in the future. Maybe you sit here this morning and maybe you're hoping for uh, a raise or maybe you're hoping for a better job or a bonus. Well, listen, if those things don't come to pass, can you still rejoice in the Lord? Can you still do that? Then he goes on and Habakkuk says, uh, he talks about the present disappointments when he says, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Well, now what is he talking about? He's talking about things that represent, these things here represent what we're trusting right now. Present resources. You know what? Most people right now that I know are having their present resources stretched. Stretched. You go to the grocery store, whether it's shrinkflation or inflation, you buy, you know, your grocery bill last week was $110, and this week it's $160. And your income didn't go up that much in a week's time. Most people I know are having... Uh, their, their, their bills are going up because of the, the, uh, the economy situation, their projects that are being put on hold because materials can't get delivered on time. Again, it's just all, everywhere. So what do you do when things that you're counting on right now fall through? Can you still rejoice in the Lord? Habakkuk also mentions things that we've stored up. Notice what he says in verse 17, though there, be, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, these are the things that we've saved and put in reserve. These things that we've saved up, what happens when our savings is depleted? What happens when our investments take a downward turn? Can we rejoice in God, and can we find joy in our relationship with Him? And Habakkuk says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. See, these times demand that we anchor ourselves in a God who cannot fail. And not only a God who cannot fail, but a, these times demand that we anchor in the one who is, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big word, immutable. It's an, a, this theological word, immutable, it just simply means he's unchanging. That means that if God took care of you yesterday, he'll, you can depend on him to take care of you today. And if he takes care of you today, then you can depend on him to do that tomorrow. See, we have to anchor ourselves in him. Nobody, listen, nobody likes to go through tough times. Listen, I'm allergic to one thing. Thank you. See, you guys are good. <laughs> you guys are good. I, I'm allergic to pain. I don't like pain. I don't like any kind of pain. I don't like physical pain. I'm still down in my back. I've got a, a disc issue uh, that I'm dealing with. I, I don't like that kind of pain. I don't like economic pain. I don't like, I don't like any kind of pain. Nobody likes to go through that, right? Because when we do, it reveals a lot about in whom we trust. In tough economic times, God wants us to be joyful in Him, in God, our salvation. So how is this possible? 
what's possible when we follow his financial principles. Let me give you a few of those this morning. I told you this message is very practical, very pragmatic message, different than the last couple of weeks and be different the next week. But this is something the Lord laid on my heart because I see people hurting. I'm hurting. I go to the store and, man, I'm telling you what. I mean, it's just Sheila and I. And, I mean, she's eating me out of the house and home. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody's suffering. So how can we manage this? Again, all of the leading economic indicators are saying we're in for a rough, rough time. So how do we deal with that? How do you and I as a believer overcome that? Well, the first thing is this. Keep track of your money. Number one, first principle that we find in Scripture, Scripture, keep track of your money. Think about this. Have you ever wondered where money goes so fast? Yeah, you ever wonder about that? I mean, on Monday morning, you have $20 in your pocket. Tuesday, it's gone, and you have no idea where it went. You have nothing to show for Am I the only, only one that does that? I mean, you have 20 bucks in your pocket on Monday, and you think, well, that at least get me through most of the week. And then Tuesday rolls around, and you reach in your pocket, and you're like, where did it go? And you start accusing people of robbing you, taking that money or whatever. Here's the thing. We tend to develop financial amnesia. You ever notice that? We tend to develop financial amnesia. Uh, most people today who carry a significant amount of debt on their credit cards, they are totally clueless as to where it went and why. They have no idea what they bought. They have no idea why they bought it. And they have no idea where it is. And yet they carry that, that, that balance on their credit cards. I read a story about a, uh, a man by the name of Steve. Steve decided one day he wanted to track his spending and see where all of his money was going. And to his amazement, at the end of the month, you know what? He found out he was spending $40 a month, over $40 a month, on soda, Coke. $40 a month. Now, this story's kind of dated because he was spending 50 cents, a, 50 cents at a time. Show me where you can buy a soda for 50 cents. But, but again, the idea was, you know, it was 50 cents here and... 50 cents at a time is not a big deal, but he found out that it added up, and over the course of the year, he was spending $500 a year on something that made no difference in his life. Now, I'm not preaching against soda pop, right? Listen, I enjoy a, a nice root beer. I love root beer. That's one of my favorite soft drinks. I love root beer. I'm not against that, but I'm saying that in these tough economic times, keep track of your money. Know where, know where it's going. I, I think we would all be surprised where we spend our money. Solomon said in Proverbs 27, verse 23, he said, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. What is he saying? He's saying, pay attention to where it goes. See, today we have dollars and cents. In those days, they had, they had herds and flocks. He said, watch out for them. Pay attention to them. See, what, know what's going on in your financial life. Know where you are. Know how much money you have and know where you're spending it. Keep track of your finances. That's one of the best insulators in these tough economic times is to be able to know what you're spending your money on and where areas that you might be able to cut out. Listen, it's not hard to do that. It just takes consistency. It takes consistency. Keeping, a good, keeping good financial records. Why is that important? Well, it may, it's important because it, it enables us to manage our resources from a position of strength rather than weakness. If I know where I'm spending money, I can manage my resources from a position of knowledge rather than ignorance. And the Bible says we need to do that. Again, Solomon said in Proverbs 13, every prudent man acts out of knowledge. In other words, a wise person, first of all, gathers the information before jumping to a conclusion or a decision. So go ahead and start keeping financial records. Even if you're not in a crisis right now, this is a good discipline to get in. I don't know where you are this morning financially. I mean, you may have struck the mother load and cash is rolling in left and right. God bless you if that's the case. I celebrate you and salute you and thank God for you. But maybe you're here and you don't have two nickels to rub together, let alone a dollar in your pocket. Well, you know what? How, you, how do you get out of tough e economic times? First of all, know where, you, know where your resources are going. In my 29 years of pastoring, we, we have benevolence and we help people as we can. And, and in my 29 years experience, here's what I've learned. Most people that come in for assistance, whether it be electrical, gas, water, whatever it is, it's not a matter of resources. It's not a matter of income. It's managing what they have. 
That's the issue. And it starts by knowing, knowing where it goes. Second thing, plan ahead. Plan ahead. Anybody, anybody plan here? I, I'm a planner. So, so, you know, we plan vacations. <laughs> yeah, we plan vacations. Uh, I'm, I'm lo always looking ahead. You know, I, I, I always joked about there used to be couples here years ago, since passed on to glory, but there was, a, there was two couples in particular I remember. They would uh, they'd talk about going on vacation, and I would say, hey, where are you going? Well, we don't know. Well, I'm like, aren't you leaving tomorrow? Yeah. I'm like, where are you going? Well, I don't know. And I said, well, he said, we're just going to get in the car and drive. But where are you going to drive? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I've just never been that way. I want to know where I'm going. Now, I'm not, I'm not that meticulous in the sense I have to have every detail of every day planned out. But I, like, I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go to a condo. I'm going to sit. That's where I'm going. I'm going to stay there. What I do during the day doesn't really matter, but I'm, at least I have that kind of plan. Listen, have you ever noticed how no one succeeds on accident? You ever thought about that? If you look at successful people today, they are where they are today because early on they developed a plan in how to get there. And they stuck to that plan. The great news is we don't have to make a huge amount of money in order to build a secure financial future. We don't have to make a lot of money to be secure in tough economic times. I used to teach my children years ago, there was a plan that I taught my kids, whether they gravitated to it or not, but it was something I tried to teach them. How many of you ever heard me talk about the 10-10-80 plan? 10-10-80. I'm a simple kind of guy, very simple. 10% tithe, 10% savings, and you live on 80%. That was it. 10-10-80. Very simple. And I told them, if you will start that when you're young, if I, all the students that are here, Every bit of money that you get, if you'll live by that principle, I'm telling you, when you become my age, right? If you start in your teenage years and you wait, you, you keep doing that, discipline to do that, when you get in your 50s, you'll be financially secure. You'll be amazed at how much it accumulates. Planning and learning how to spend wisely. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? He said, a man's life does not, consist, it does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. In other words, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Doesn't matter. Listen, don't buy into this idea that more is going to make you happy, because it won't. More is not going to make you happy. Listen, if we, I, I mentioned this Wednesday night as I was teaching on coveting. Do you know we have, we have stuff? How many have stuff? And, and, and not only that, our stuff has stuff. In fact, we have so much stuff in our, today, we've accumulated so much stuff that our garages are full, we can't park our cars in there, our attic is full, we have outbuildings, I'm, I'm, listen, if you have stuff, I'm not knocking you, I have all that too. We have outbuildings, and then one of the fastest growing industries in the last few years has been storage buildings, units. You can't rent a storage place here in town. They're all booked up. Why? Because people have stuff. And their stuff has stuff. So if having stuff makes us happy, we ought, to be the, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet, right? We should be over abundance of joy. But here's the thing. Every, I want you to hear this. Every item that's put on sale has one purpose. You know what it is? It's to get money out of your pocket into their till drawer. That's it. Everything put on, and I know what you're saying. Well, pastor, you know what? I, it was on sale. I mean, I'm saving money. But if you don't need it, I mean, there's a lot of people that can't walk by a sale and not stop and say, well, you know what? At least I'm saving money. No, you're spending money. I go to the grocery store. You ever, you ever gone to the grocery store and the lady, she rings up your order and, and prints it out and says, you saved $6.87? I say, ma'am, I spent $87. <laughs> Anybody do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm, you're telling me I'm saving, but I actually gave you more money. I, I'm actually worse off now than when I came in here. Every item put on sale has that one purpose, is to get money out of your pocket into their till. And you know what? Here's another thing. Every credit card offer that comes in the mail is an attempt to trick you, here it is, into impulsive buying. That's what it is. They, they start out by saying something like, because you are so credit worthy. Doesn't that sound good? Makes you feel good. Somebody's recognized your financial suave, you know, like he's, he's really good. And because of your financial acumen, you, you deserve this credit card. 
No, it should say, because of your gullibility, we're giving you this because we know you're going to charge it to the max and we've got you. <laughs> That's it. That's what they do. They want to trick you to buy it impulsively. You know, you don't have the money to do it, but you got the credit card. You slap that thing down, say charge you, and then for the next... You ever notice on your credit card statements on the bottom, it has, if you keep paying minimum payments, how long it's going to take you? Oh, my goodness. 28 years for a pair of shoes. Whew! You Plan ahead. Listen, learn, know what you have. Know the income that you have. And based on what you have and what you earn, decide where you, mon- you want your money to go and then build a plan. Build a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Our choice. I can frivolously go out and spend on every gadget. Listen, I'm, I'm a gadget guy. And not only that, I love old things. I like old things. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for some of those old uh, uh, porcelain signs, you know, from the 30s and 40s. Beautiful stuff. And, and I'll get a, a thing come across my email that says, hey, there's an auction, and we've got this particular, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then, I, then you start rationalizing. Well, you know, it's only... It's only $499. You know, and, and if I put it on my credit card, then I could probably, you know, and, and that's how we do that. It's only, and then we start, be careful about that. Plan. Know where you are. It's good. Listen, and it's not easy. I, I, I'm, I'm making light of it because it's a painful, this is one of those painful messages. But know where you are. Make plans for the future. You know, if you want to buy something, make plans now to do it later. Make plans Make plans now. Uh, remember, you're, you're not going to fall into financial freedom accidentally. It requires to have a plan, and then you work that plan. 10-10-80 is a simple plan. 10% to God's kingdom, 10% to your savings, and then you live on 80%. It's a simple math. No matter where, where you are on the income spectrum, it's easy, and you're building savings. And that leads to the third thing, save consistently. You know, I'm amazed at how, people, how many people today in America don't have savings accounts how they don't live with savings. Paul, uh, Paul, Solomon, Solomon said, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. If you start your children off right now, and I, I would recommend parents, you do that. Start your kids off now. Teach them. Teach them to put it in, again, the 10, 10, 80 is great. Teach them to set aside a portion of their money for savings and don't let them touch it. Because over time, time and compound interest makes that thing grow and grow and grow. Every financial plan we have should include the systematic saving of a portion of our funds for later on. Solomon said in 21, Proverbs 21:20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. In other words, it's foolish to get paid on Friday and to be broke by Sunday. Hey, I, when I was a teenager, my last job before I went into the military uh, was for about eight months I worked for, I was rebuilding carburetors. And I found out that this company I worked for had this unique feature, this, this, this benefit, that I could do what was called advanced pay. What that meant was, as a teenage boy, I'd date on the weekends, so I'd get paid on Friday, and then I'd go dating all weekend. Come Monday, I was broke. So I could go to them and say, hey, I'd like to take an advance on my pay. And they're like, well, sure. So... Give me $10 here, give me 20 there, 50 here. Well, what I found out was I kept doing that. My paychecks on Friday kept shrinking. It didn't make a lot of sense, you know. So, again, that's the foolish man who spends all that he has. In fact, the Living Bible paraphrases that verse and says, The wise man saves for his future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Listen, we need to set aside a portion of our income every payday, prepare for those future inevitable situations that come. Listen, I believe that a lack of savings is a significant issue for the debt load in America. You know we're $28 trillion as a nation, $28 trillion in debt? $28 trillion. See, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, they were talking about millions. And then they moved into talking about billions. And now they're talking about trillions. 
And it's almost to the point where we are, it's incomprehensible to understand. I, I, one mathematician figured out, if you take brand new $100 bills and you stood them on the vertical, and you put them back to back, a trillion dollars would go from Dallas to El Paso. I'm like, just give me a from Dallas to Abilene. I'd be good. <laughs> That's a trillion dollars. If you were to go into business, if you started a business when Jesus was born almost 2,000 years ago, you were open every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you never closed, and you lost a million dollars every day, and you were still in business, and you're still losing a million dollars, you would not have lost a million dollars, I mean a trillion dollars by now. You would not have lost it. That's how much a trillion is. We're 20, 28 trillion dollars in debt. Listen, because we haven't established a saving plan, when normal things come up like car repairs, the washing machine breaks, you know, some repair, you know what, we're left with no obligation or, or no altern alternative except to whip out the credit card and say, charge it. That's where people have gotten sucked in. It's inevitable and it's their last reason. That's the only way they can do it. I need a refrigerator. I need my car fixed. And they put it on a credit card and the hook's there. And you pay minimum payment for the next 15, 20 years trying to get out from under that load. Build a savings account. Number, number four, give faithfully. Give faithfully. You say, well, what does that have to do with tough economic times? It has a lot to do with it. Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Well, one translation says, and running over. And then, he said, and then he adds this. For by the standard that you measure in giving, it will be measured back to you. In other words, if I'm stingy with my giving to the Lord, the work of the kingdom, then my blessings are going to be stingily given back to me. Again, it's kind of tough to hear you know, Jesus lets us know that giving is a, is a vital part of our economic plan, our financial plan. It's, a, it's an important thing. I love the fact that, you know, Bethel, we do so well uh, in, in giving, our missions and things like that. Listen, it's, a, it's part of it. It's part of it, and it's something we ought to all be a part of. I've often said it's hard for me to figure out how, how people can trust God with their eternal souls but have a real tough time trusting Him with their pocketbooks. Think about that for a minute. You know, we tend to give only when it's easy to give and when things get tight. Guess what? We get, the first thing we cut is what we give to the Lord. I mean, think about it. We, we As a country, we live in a country that gripes about $4 ga a gallon gas. But we will sit for 30 minutes in a line to pay $5 for a cup of coffee with our vehicle running and not bat an eye about it. And when things get tight, we don't cut out cable and we don't cut out Starbucks and we don't cut out Popeyes as a joke we don't cut out this we don't cut out that we cut out our giving to the Lord oh I can't afford it with six Starbucks cups sitting in my cup holder listen the, the, the blessings come when we're faithful to God I, I know I'm digging this morning but when we're stingy to the work of God what it does is it shows our lack of gratitude for everything he gives to us. Remember, the scripture says, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. There are no self-made people anywhere. Oh, I'm a self-made man. It's the sweat of my brow and the work of my hands. Well, who gave you the brow to sweat on? Who gave you those capillaries, the hands with all the digits to be able to do what you do? See, when I refuse to give and honor God in my giving, I'm showing a lack of gratitude for everything that he's done for us, and, and it shows a lack of gratitude, or excuse me, a lack of trust in God's ability to take care of me. What do I do in tough economic times? I keep giving my way out. One of the things I said Wednesday night, I was teaching in our class on, on coveting. I was finished up the Ten Commandments, and I said one of the easiest ways to remedy coveting, remember the Ten Commandments says you shall not co covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet their house, their maidservant, or their manservant. And uh, so you should covet. That means to desire something that you're not supposed to have. And I said one of the remedies of coveting is to learn how to be generous, to give. Listen, whether things are easy right now or difficult, we have to make a habit of giving to God first. Hon Solomon said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then, 
Notice what he said. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, being consistent with our giving will bring consistency in every other area of our lives. This is one of the last lessons that new believers learn because, again, it doesn't make sense economically to be given to the Lord. I used to joke with my son years ago, be like, Dad, we could, we could buy a new boat with that. We could, but we're not because this belongs to God. It's his money. And we need to leave it, leave it like that. Proverbs 22, 9 says, A generous man will he himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. In other words, when God blesses us, our job is to reach out and bless somebody else. The rich fool had a bumper crop, and what did he do? He tore down his barns. He built bigger barns to store more stuff. And the Bible said that night the Lord spoke to him and said, You fool. Why was he foolish? Because it was all about him. All about him. No concern for his fellow man whatsoever. See, I believe that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing that we're a conduit, that God pours in so that, we, that he can pour out. And I, again, I understand, and I, this is a, if you've been a part of Bethel, you understand, I don't preach on, on finances I, hardly ever. Because you know what? Down through the years, there have been a lot of people that have misrepresented the biblical principle of giving. They have done it for their own selfish gain. You know what? They'll be judged. God will take care of them. It's not my job to judge them. God will judge them. But just because they misconstrued the principle for their own benefit, doesn't mean I don't believe in the principle. I believe giving is the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. See, managing our money begins by trusting God with our finances. And trusting God with our finances means that I give and honor him with my giving. If you don't regularly give to the Lord, let me challenge you to begin. I know we don't pass the plate anymore, but you know what? We have receptacles and we have online. There's a lot of opportunity to be able to give. If you don't do that, just start today. Do what you can. And trust God to expand your financial horizons so you can do more and you do more. Some of you might remember the story. i got one more point. I'm closing. Letourneau. Anybody know the story of Letourneau that has the college over in East Texas, the heavy equipment man? I forget his first name, Letourneau. When he started in his business, he barely, had, he barely made ends meet, but he kept promising the Lord, Lord, I will honor you with my giving. I will, I will bless you. I'm, I'm summarizing this story. Uh, so when he, his business started growing, his, tra- his heavy equipment business started growing, uh, he started expanding. He, he started giving more and more to the Lord, 10%, and then increased. And so at the end of his life, here's this guy that started out with nothing. At the end of his life, he is giving the Lord 90% of his income, living on 10%. He was generous to the Lord, and God blessed him. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's what you need to do. That's not, please don't read between the lines. I'm just simply saying, learn how to give to the Lord. And as he expands your financial horizons, give more generously to the Lord. Last thing is this. Guys, come on back. Eliminate debt. Again, if I'm going to survive tough economic times, I've got to eliminate debt. What does that mean? Well, I think there's nothing else in the world probably uh, that causes a person or a marriage so much grief as debt. How many of you have ever been heavily in debt? before. Isn't it a pain? I mean, it absolutely is. When we're in debt, here's the thing, we no longer work for ourselves. Any joy that you might have in going to work to earn a paycheck, you don't have anymore because you're in debt. When you get paid, you know that there's a creditor standing there with his hand out saying, you owe me. Give me mine. And if they don't, then things can get very, very complicated. Again, who hasn't felt the misery of of being in debt. Sheila and I, when we first moved here to, to uh, Texas, uh, I spent 10 months unemployed and, and, and not being, being wiser now, I wasn't quite as wise back then in my, in my 20s. I, I only saw one recourse and that was to live on credit cards. So we lived on a credit card for several, several months and we amassed maybe about $25,000, $30,000 in credit card debt in the course of 10 months. You know how long it took to get rid of that? And we were diligent on doing so. About 18 years. About 18 years. I'm saying be careful of these promises of uh, buy now, pay later schemes. When we're in debt, again, we no longer work for ourselves. We start working for the creditor. And when you hear somebody talking about working for the man... They're not talking about working for the man who signs the paycheck. They're talking about working for the man who's going to take your money. 
because you owe it to them. You know, the bumper sticker says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know, if you're, and that's true. We become the creditor slave, and any enjoyment that we might have gained out of our jobs and going to work, we lost in the frustration of taking our paycheck and signing it over to the creditors because now we're in debt. Listen, nothing good comes from debt. In these tough economic times, be very careful. If you've got a car that's four years old and you want a brand new car, hang on to your four-year-old car. Larry Burkett used to say the cheapest car to drive is the one you have. Again, I, <laughs> I'm not against nice things. In fact, early on in ministry, some of you were here a long time ago. I used to trade cars about every six months. It wasn't that, obviously, I'm not a wealthy individual. It wasn't that at all. And it wasn't, I, I just enjoy, I like the new things. They put new bells and whistles on them. And I like bells and whistles. And so every time a new model came out, it had another whistle. And I like, I got to, you know, I, 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 I couldn't get it out. <laughs> I wanted a new whistle. But then it dawned on me. The more I trade, the deeper the hole. The deeper the hole. How many's ever heard of something called upside down? That's when you owe more on your vehicle than what they're going to give you. But fear not. These creative financial guys, they know how to take that and they can work it right back into the new car and the car that you were going to buy for $32,000, you're now just going to buy for $42,000, but that's okay because your payments are going to be like this. <laughs> that's oversimplification, but that's what happens. If your house is 10 years old, hang on to it. Listen, not all debt's wrong, okay? I'm not, there are things that appreciate, okay? There are investments that appreciate. It's not wrong. It is wrong to become a slave to debt. It is wrong when I use debt to finance a way of life just to ease my wants and my desires. That's wrong. Have you ever seen that MasterCard commercial? That uh, it, it starts out with something like this. Airfare to Paris for two, $2,800. Rental of your private chalet. $1,800. An evening for two at the sidewalk cafe, $150. Sharing it all with the one you love. Priceless. I've always said they, want, they need to add a line to that that says, the stress of having to pay it off at 29% interest, not worth the price. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're not going to do that, but they ought to. Listen, don't fall into the trap of spending beyond your ability and then relying on credit cards to bail you out. I'm not against credit cards either. I think if you know how to manage them, there are, there are a lot of beneficial things to having a credit card if you can manage those. But if you're not that type, don't get one. I know, I know people that have existed and functioned in life quite well, and they never owned a debit card, a credit card. They were cash people. I'm just saying, you know, Jesus said one time, hey, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. You know, the point of that whole, uh, the whole story there was that do whatever, take extreme measures, whatever you have to do to make heaven your destiny, be willing to do that. What I'm saying is if you have to eliminate credit cards, if you have to cut every single one of them up so that you're not tempted to spend them, then do that. Because your peace of mind and your peace of heart and your security through financial, difficult financial times is worth more than the weight of the debt of being in the credit card debt. Put them in a the freezer. You know, freeze them in a block of ice. You know, send them. No, don't send them anywhere. You know, and, and i got to wrap this up. Listen, if, if, if we're going to manage our money, then we've got to start knowing where we are. We've got to have a picture. We've got to plan ahead. We've got to start saving and giving consistently, and then we've got to get out of debt. Part of building a plan, a financial plan, learn how to build that. How many of you have ever heard of uh, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey? We've offered that here a number of times in the past. After Easter, I'm wanting to get that thing up again, uh, somehow, maybe in May or whatever, offer that class for the church. It is an incredible, do you remember offhand how much debt the last class retired? The last class we had here eliminated about $60,000 worth of debt. This is individual in, in 24 weeks time. $60,000 worth of debt. It is a wonderful, biblically-based financial program. And, and I thought, you know what? We need to offer something like that again. We need to have tools available for, for God's people so that we're not ensnared by this. 
Listen, as I close this morning, again, this is a lot different than the last couple messages, but this is practical stuff. We are moving in some very difficult times. Every indicator that you read about today says things are going to continue to get worse. I've had people say, Pastor, what do we do? Do we buy survival food? Do we store up? And, and I always say, do what you feel the Lord leads you to do. I grew up, you got looking at a guy that grew up in Mobile, Alabama. What that means is I grew up in a place known as Hurricane Alley. Every year you knew you were going to have a hurricane or some major storms coming off the Gulf of Mexico. And so what my parents did every year, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like that now. What my parents did was they, you, you know, the, the farm that my dad had, I, I, he called it a garden. But when you're having to work it, I'm telling you, it was a farm. So, so when we farmed, my, my dad and my mom, would, when we would go pick the harvest, they canned. They canned. They put stuff up. Because they knew that sometime during the year, their, the supply chain was going to be interrupted the power grid was going to be affected, and if we hadn't made plans for that, then we would be left without any resources. And so they always were conscientious to set up and put aside so that there would be enough. Listen, if all you have are, is enough groceries in your house for today, I suggest, I suggest you make some plans for a little bit more. Maybe instead of buying that Starbucks or that mug on the square or that Popeye's meal or that whatever. Maybe go buy some food that you can store up. Again, I'm, I'm not sounding an alarm. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm saying be conscientious. Know that there's some difficult days that are coming. And the Bible says it's prudent. The, wise, the prudent man plans, plans. Make some plans. Put your confidence in God. And by no means, I want you to stand with me this morning. By no means do I want you to fear. Absolutely do not fear what's coming. Yes, the situation in Europe right now with Russia and Ukraine and, and all these other nations, China, North Korea, all of these things are troublesome. I understand that. But all through the Bible, there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. The message to you and I, fear not. When it comes to tough economic times, the message is fear not. The psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. If you will honor and follow the principles that God has laid out, he will take care of you. This morning, you know, I kind of struggle a little bit with the altar call because this is not your typical Sunday morning message that brings a challenge. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to open the altars up because I think it's important. If you're not here this morning, I mean, if you're here this morning, if you're not here, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm in pain. I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if you're here this morning and maybe your confidence, maybe you've been shaken by the economy. Maybe your job's been affected. Maybe you're spending. You've, you've been spending like it's always going to be there, like you got a spending tree out in your backyard and it's just always going to produce. Maybe you say, Pastor, I just need God to help me to tone that down. I need to be sensitive and wise with the resources that God's given to me. I need to make the plans. As we sing this morning, I want you to come. And again, this is all on you. I, I can't tell you what to do. I'm just giving you the principles taught in Scripture. And there are more. The Bible is filled with wisdom about finances because God understood how impactful resources would be. So as we sing this morning, maybe you hear and say, you know what, Pastor, I just want to I, I, I just want to come down and I just want to lay it down. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I just want to lay it down and say, God, you take charge. I've done the best that I can, but I'm not where I need to be, so I need your wisdom, and I'm just symbolically laying down my finances before you and say, help me. Help me to do what I need to do. Help me to learn and discern what is the way to go. He said he'd do that, by the way. Go ahead and sing. And I say, would you come this morning? And maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Either way, I want you to come this morning. Today is the day. Just lay it down. than riches more than power I need Jesus more than anything every minute every hour help me Jesus I'm not 
not ashamed to say, I need you more than I ever have before. I need you more than I ever have before. I kind of sum up where we are 
I need you more. And in tough economic times, I need him more than I've ever needed him before. In chaotic times, I need him more than I've ever needed him before. Listen, the answer is not to fear, church. The answer is in Christ alone. He is our rock. He is our hope. I love you so much. God bless you this week. Remember this week, we've got all the stuff going on with the, the food distribution on Thursday, the men's event on Friday, the golf tournament on Saturday. But during the business of our ministries, please don't forget to lift up the families in our church that are hurting. Again, this wasn't a very good week for us. But we need him more. In these tough times when we can't explain anything, answers are not coming. We just need Jesus. Father, I love you today, and I thank you. I thank you that your wisdom and your words are good for all of life. Not just certain parts of our life, but every facet of our being. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would heed what you have spoken to us this morning in these very difficult days, these lean times. Lord, you raised up Joseph, and you imparted wisdom to him to store up during plentiful times and to be prepared for the lean times that are coming. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, to, to, to discern the seasons in which we live and that we too would be mindful to take care of our economic stability individually and as a body. Father, I pray for those this morning that need some encouragement. Lord, that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand and minister to them and encourage them. And for, Lord, our church family members that are suffering and grieving this day because of the loss of someone so dear and near to them, Lord, uphold them with that powerful right hand and minister strength to them. Be that companion that sticks closer than a brother and encourage them and remind them of the hope of heaven. Father, I speak blessings over every person here today. Lord, I pray that as we walk according to your principles and precepts, Lord, that Lord, that you would unfold your, your beautiful plan in our lives in spite of the dark days that we live in. May we walk out of here shining the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask you to bless us this week. May we be a testimony to those around us. May we shine that light in the darkness so others can see you. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. God bless you, church. You are the answer, my only answer. I need you, Jesus. Oh, I need you, Jesus. You are the answer, my only answer. I need you, Jesus, more than anything. You are the answer, my only answer. I need you, Jesus.
you.